0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACD's Media Group. Today's episode is part of our podcast series with RSM about business performance optimization. In the four episodes of the series, we'll look at cybersecurity, information technology, finance, and human capital, and talk about trends in each of these areas and way to optimize those functions. The series is sponsored by RSM, a leading audit, tax, and consulting firm focused on the middle market. Each of our episodes is featuring an RSM professional talking about their area of expertise and insights from their work with private equity firms and middle market companies. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Mike Banks, Director of Technology Consulting in the Infrastructure Complex Delivery M&A Group at RSM, who's here to talk about IT. Mike, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So the pandemic seemed to really be this kind of wake-up call for business leaders as far as technology goes. They all of a sudden you know, needed a way to keep their staff working remotely. They needed to reach customers when they weren't in person and on and on. That's obviously my very non-technical perspective. So I'm interested to hear from you as an IT insider about which developments from the past two years that you'd say have had the biggest impact on the IT function for mid-sized companies.
1: Sure, as you mentioned, the increase in remote workers definitely led to many more businesses having the capability for remote work. Many uh, mid-sized businesses did not have widespread capability for that before the pandemic. So that was a big change. But in addition to that, I'd say really moving towards services-based architecture, uh, software as a service systems uh, was a really big shift. You know, It really lends itself well to remote workers um, versus uh, having an on on-premise infrastructure and and services and applications that are uh, that you'd have to connect to a uh, to your office to access. And I think again that software as a service is is kind of a like the next step beyond uh, cloud-based architecture. Another thing is is definitely outsourcing, especially with uh, outsourcing security managed security service providers, managed socks. And and with, uh, with mid-sized businesses being more targeted by bad actors nowadays, that's, that's become very important.
0: And so what if some of these changes meant for mid-sized companies, right? Like they're having to adopt these new types of systems that you mentioned, um, switching to software as a service model. Has this come with the need for... You know, greater expenditure. You know, bigger IT budgets. Have they had to, you know, reevaluate security measures? Talk about what the, these changes have meant on the ground.
1: So, first thing is, IT staffing looks a lot different in that model than it did in the past. You know, it's it's a much different skill set that we're staffing for. Uh, IT budgeting is is a lot different. Right? IT budgets are a lot different than they than they were uh, with the traditional infrastructure. Um, a lot more OpEx, a lot less CapEx. There's no need in a in a cloud environment to make large purchases of uh, on-premise infrastructure, servers, etc. Um, all that becomes OpEx in the cloud, uh, and it's much easier to um, to right size uh, and adjust up and down as needed, um, so that you have a lot more control over your budget. I, I would say. Uh, the the application landscape has changed quite a bit. Again, based on uh, the move to cloud, software as a service, things like Microsoft um, Microsoft 365 uh, is is a it's not a new skill. It's not a new product, um, but there's the amount of people that have moved to services like Microsoft 365 uh, over the last few years is is uh, is in, immense. So. Uh, people who have been employed by a company for a long time uh, are, either have to change those skill sets or those companies have to hire new, new talent. I have, a, I have a client in the Midwest. They have super great retention of their employees. I mean, they have employees that have been there for 20 or 30 years. That's fantastic. I mean, they must be a great company to work for. But really, um, you know, that, that causes problems when technology was fairly consistent for, for a number of years and had kind of minor changes here and there, but what we've seen recently is more of a, a wholesale change in, in the way IT infrastructure and IT applications work. And businesses need to understand the impacts of cybersecurity. Um, really the, these, you know, cybersecurity is a lot different in a in an environment where you're talking about software as a service or cloud infrastructure. You know, there's no no longer a, a front door that you can lock to keep people out. Right, it's out there. It's out there in the world. Uh, it's it's on the internet. It's accessible to a lot of people, um, especially with software as a service. Um, so that that's something that that people need to be definitely aware of.
0: And you you brought up cybersecurity. I I spoke with your RSM colleague Malia Mason for the cybersecurity episode of this series. And one thing that she talked a lot about was um, the talent gap in cybersecurity and and people leaving the field. Are you seeing similar trends within IT staffing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's huge, um, especially this year. There's a, a big gap there um, with IT staffing in um, the skill sets and the availability of, of people. So as I mentioned, the skill sets are a lot different uh, today than they were even a couple of years ago. Um, and then there's just a lot less people in the job market. Uh, and, and I'd say that's especially true with mid-sized businesses in uh, smaller markets, right? There's there's fewer people available that can do the IT jobs, and they're they're more in the larger markets. And you know the the cost of the cost to employ IT staff has has gone up as well, um, based on the the shortages of, of people skilled people.
0: I'm interested too in the the factors that go into the decision of whether to outsource services or you know bring them in-house. Um, can you talk about that and, and some of the considerations for mid-sized businesses as they weigh that choice?
1: Sure, absolutely. Managed service provider outsourcing is very common um, in mid-sized businesses, especially uh, after a transaction. A lot of mid-sized privately-owned businesses source their IT and have a lot of older technologies in place. Um, when I see a transaction, when, it, when a pre, when a PE firm buys a privately held company, a lot of times there's there's a, a again that wholesale change in in the technology, the move to cloud and. When that happens, um, the the skills that they have in-house are typically not up to the task of managing the new technologies, Uh, so it makes managed service provider outsourcing a pretty easy choice. Typically, what we see with managed service provider outsourcing or MSP outsourcing is um, they'll outsource service desk and end-user support uh, components uh, and typically like a monitoring and managing of, of infrastructure. Um, but we also commonly see project outsourcing, and there's been a huge growth in the in the managed security service provider space. I'd say when you're looking at what the considerations are, again, we talked about the the skills and staffing, but also uh, for outsourcing, cost for middle market companies is typically lower to outsource than to insource. Again, based on the the lack of of skills, especially in in smaller markets, and the cost that it would take to employ those people whereas the kind of cost is is spread across obviously multiple companies if, if you do outsource another consideration would be geography if you have a lot of smaller locations uh, versus having one large location um, it, it's going to be much harder to staff those small locations considerations you might that might cause you to go the other direction would be things like if you have specialized applications that there's not a lot of Skills out in the market for like manufacturing applications, things in the like in the oil and gas industry or chemical manufacturing. Th- those skills aren't as widespread in managed service provider spaces. Uh, or, or if you have proprietary information like uh, life sciences, you might you might want to keep that in in house just to kind of keep your arms around uh, the spread of of that knowledge.
0: And I would imagine that. In-source, outsource question is going to be on the mind of a buyer in an M and A transaction as they think about, you know, what steps to take with the business after they acquire it. Um, are there other IT-related aspects that come up during an M and A transaction that um, you either tend to get neglected or um, maybe don't get the attention that that they deserve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Almost every transaction I've been involved in has, has a lot of tech debt. Technical debt happens when companies do not have a hardware lifecycle program and they're not managing their technology to keep it up to date. Where you end up is you have older systems that either don't have the security features of modern systems or do not have the ability to accept updates to the current system. Both situations can cause security concerns. Essentially, technical debt will end up costing a buyer more money in technology than they had potentially planned on. Also, some industries like manufacturing have a a huge amount of applications. So a a business like a a tech business or a bank are going to have a limited scope of applications um, that, that are pretty common throughout a lot of industries. Uh, you know, they'd be names that you recognize, but, in you know, a manufacturing or um, oil and gas type business, there's just so many applications. You could, you could have a hundred or more applications um, that are in scope in a transaction. One other thing that I would uh, mention is uh, shadow IT. Let's say you're carving out a, a division of a, you know, a, a large multinational um, that has a lot of controls on on their IT that, that type of situation you might run into uh, some shadow IT uh, people going out to, uh, to to put their data in Google Drive on their own something like that that's outside of the company control Industries like tech have that have that issue as well because there's a lot of tech savvy people that that, that go out and uh, find solutions to Their problems that the company may not be providing.
0: Interesting. And so, how how does one go about kind of investigating that shadow IT? Is that a matter (laughs) of like talking to employees and figuring out what's going on, or are there other ways to sort of look beneath the hood on that?
1: Yeah, a lot of it is uh, discussions, discovery uh, through discussions with with employees. I spend a lot of time uh, just talking to talking to employees, talking to leaders of different functional areas within a business. Um, and that, that is one of the things that we often uncover is the shadow IT. Hmm.
0: And what about after a transaction? What are some of the best practices around IT that you recommend after a deal closes?
1: So what I typically see is um, when we when we do a carve out or an integration, uh, I see this in sort of distinct phases. We typically do a stand-up. Stand-up is where you're getting off of your TSAs, you're in in the case of an integration, you're integrating into the uh, existing uh, target operating model. And, and the existing business functions. And with that, the keys there are getting started as soon as possible with your discovery and your planning. You know, so, some TSAs out there uh allow for an incremental exit. So you can exit portions of the TSA sooner than others, right? And, and a lot of them have financial benefits for accessing for the TSAs before the end of the TSA period. So that's that's really what, what we focus on. Uh, we focus on a, a, a fast and functional, what I call a fast and functional uh, IT environment. Our fast and functional goals are to uh, to create um, infrastructure solutions that are based on leading practices, industry standards, vendor reference architectures, and focused on a cloud-first strategy, according to the, the, the policies of the company that we're working with. After we do a stand-up, there's typically a period of stabilization, let things bake in, and then we move into optimization. Uh, optimization is where things like advanced security come into play. Enabling advanced security features, business continuity planning, disaster recovery planning, uh, overall process improvement, and then looking at right-sizing after you do uh, after you do a stand-up. When when we uh, enable cloud services uh, like Azure or AWS, uh, we typically enable them with pay-as-you-go pricing. And that's very typical with implementations across any situation that's not specific to a a carve out or an integration. Uh, And and after you do something like that, um, you can go back and look at either Azure or AWS has built in calculators that help you um, determine cost saving opportunities with things like reserved instances um, where you pay for some compute power ahead of time, like you pay in increments of a year. Or six months, or three years, or whatever it is, and that, and that can save you some money in the long run. And that's something that should definitely be taken into consideration after you uh, after you complete a, a stand-up after a transaction.
0: And you said um, something I want to come back to. You mentioned a cloud first strategy, and you know, cloud is something that I feel like, especially over the last couple years, you know, we hear so much about. It's come up multiple times throughout our conversation here today. Um, I wonder where the Cloud trend, for lack of a better word, where that goes from here for mid-sized businesses—is it just a matter of more companies, you know, transitioning their physical systems to cloud-based technology, or is it that most have already started this process and it's the continuation of that migration?
1: That depends on uh, where the business is uh, and, and really in their ownership structure. So. Uh, most middle market businesses that I've come across that are privately owned are still uh, heavily on premise, uh, not in, not as much in the cloud. They have some of the the typical services in the cloud like email, um, but but the majority of their systems and applications are on premise. And then when those companies are acquired, they they typically do go to the cloud. And that is that's that's. I'd say best practice, but also the preference of um, pretty much every PE firm out there. Larger companies, uh, in the case of a carve out, let's say, um, those those companies are typically already in the cloud. Uh, and so we're basically switching like for like in, a, in the case of a carve out. So in the two two situations, if it's a privately owned company that that's been acquired, there's probably a lot of tech debt and there's probably a lot of on-premise non-cloud solutions in place. Earlier, I mentioned services based architecture, uh, and that's kind of a SaaS first focus. And that's, I'd say, one step beyond cloud first. So, SaaS based uh, applications and you know, ensuring that you put the right security features around that, including single sign on, so that um, the company uh, owns the identity and doesn't allow the service provider or the SaaS provider to uh, own and manage the identity. Um, that's important. Multi-factor authentication, things like that, are important in a in a SaaS uh, environment. And if you do that, you know, then then uh, that SaaS type infrastructure is just as or more secure than uh, than a traditional infrastructure.
0: Hmm. And what do you mean when you say own the identity?
1: Okay, good question. Um, so uh, let's let's say you. Um, you log into an application like Facebook, right? If Facebook has uh, you log in as as your email address and and a password. That email address and password is is stored in um, in Facebook's database of user records. Um, in the case where the company manages the identity through a single sign-on provider, uh, the single sign-on provider is the is the database of record for the uh, account information and there's really just a reference in the SaaS providers uh, system that points back to that single sign on uh, identity management so that way you have control over uh, the identity management so if let's say one of your employees leaves and that employee has access to key systems including let's say three SaaS providers If that identity was managed by each provider individually, you would have to go to each system or contact each provider to remove access for that employee, former employee from that system. If you manage the identity in one place, you you can disable that account in, in, in the system that you manage the identity in, and then that disables access for that user to all of your SaaS providers.
0: I see. Okay. And so then that's a best practice when working with SaaS providers is. is for the company itself to own the identity.
1: Yes, correct. That is correct.
0: And Mike, beyond what we've talked about so far, are there other things that middle market companies can do um, to use IT to optimize overall business performance across the organization?
1: You know, there, there's so many businesses that are looking to use the data that they already own, that they already have as an opportunity for improvement i know uh, i've done a lot of work in oil and gas there's a lot of information in oil and gas coming from meters and sensors that are out in the field or on tanks or you know in a lot of different pipelines a lot of different places um and all that data is is gathered but was not necessarily used for any optimization or improvement opportunities since uh say since the downturn in in i think it was 2009 when oil and gas companies lost a lot of employees, they had to uh, really find some areas for improvement in production, not not just in IT. So this was a this was a case where IT was an enabler for uh, for the business. I had a client that basically put in a a wireless network that that spread over miles and miles of West Texas um, where there was no connectivity, so they could uh, feed all that information from those. Flow meters and sensors and different things um, back into their central systems in, in their data center, so that they could uh, crunch the numbers and use uh, use data analytics to uh, to improve uh, processes.
0: So it sounds like the oil and gas sector kind of came to that out of necessity and, and survival. Um, are there other industries where you've noticed you know a discrepancy in terms of the level of attention, focus, or or spending on IT, you know, either some industries that are doing a lot of that, or others that you know maybe have kind of neglected their IT function.
1: O- overall, as an industry, uh, kind of industrials and specifically manufacturing, construction, things like that have have a much lower IT spend than other industries. They have thinner margins. Um, they they don't want to spend uh, their money on on IT. Uh, they don't look at IT as an enabler. They look at IT as as more of an expense, um, but some are some are breaking that trend um, and, and see the importance of, uh, again, the data analytics. I have a chemical manufacturing uh, client that is looking to use data analytics to optimize the input of raw materials into, into their recipes for their final products so that they can uh, optimize the use of those raw, raw materials and reduce waste overall. And a- another example would be you know, there's, there's motors that have sensors in them that can report um, maintenance requirements before they break down. So they can save, uh, save companies downtime in manufacturing, for example.
0: So it sounds like almost, you know, there's data available. It's a matter of making the, the commitment to harness it. And that of course mm-hmm. takes investment in, in budget dollars.
1: It does. And uh, you know, I think, I think benchmarks are are good uh, guideposts. I don't think that they really um, determine anything as far as IT spending, but um, banking, for example, spends uh, on average 5 to 6% of, of their revenue on IT, whereas uh, industrials, including manufacturing, is closer to the 1% to 2% range. Hmm.
0: So we've we've covered a lot of ground here today, but I, I want to end Mike by asking if, um, you know, in addition to what we've already talked about, if there's any other trends you're watching within the IT space that you expect to impact businesses in, in 2022 that investors or operators should be aware of.
1: Well, I'd say we we touched on some of these already. Uh, shortages of IT staff is is one of them. Um, that's a that's a real problem. I'd say analytics and making better use of analytics is, uh, is a big uptrend right now. I think it's been trending for a while, but I think it'll continue to trend up. I think there, there's some technologies around, around data analytics, um, AI and machine learning that are going to be, that have been talked about for a few years, but have not really come to fruition, especially in middle market companies that I, I, would, I would look for that to be on the horizon.
0: All right. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Katie, for having me.